Welcome to The Uncomfortable Truth. I'm Alan Weiss. You know, um, we get a lifetime of bad feedback. That's the uncomfortable truth. We get a lifetime of bad feedback. My definition, of course, about feedback is that you ignore unsolicited feedback. Unsolicited feedback is always for the sender. It's to make them feel good. Solicited feedback is from people you respect and trust and admire and for whom you have esteem. But otherwise, we get a lifetime of negative feedback. You know, when you're in school, especially as a young person, keep quiet, do your work, follow the rules, conform, don't go outside of these lines, stay in the schoolyard. At home when you're young, be polite, sit still, listen to the boring stories of your family, sit through ordeals, don't make a fuss, don't run with a sharp stick, you'll poke your eye out. On the job, take work home. Get it done. But where are the boss? Avoid being fired. Don't rock the boat. Stay off the radar screens. When we gather the courage, you know, or we're forced, when we have to go out on our own like I was fired, and we work like crazy to put bread on the table, and we're responsible only to ourselves, we have an even worse boss. We put too much pressure on ourselves. Our ethic, you know, is that um, we shouldn't take care of ourselves. Really. The uncomfortable truth through this lifetime of bad feedback is that we need to constantly work. The default setting is that we constantly work. And so we start to feel guilty when we're not constantly working. We should sacrifice because that's our life. We have no business not sacrificing, especially for clients. So if you've got a vacation planned and the client says that he or she needs you that day, you change your vacation plans. You know, somebody actually said to me not long ago that they had... Two weeks in January coming up, you know, two weeks of January booked by clients, and two weeks they wanted to spend, he and his wife, by themselves. But he had hoped and hoped and hoped it would stay that way because he was afraid a client would call and use those other two weeks. And I said to him, but if a client calls, why don't you tell him the entire week of January is booked? Because the truth is you're spending two weeks with clients and two weeks on your own. You booked it yourself. But that was a, a thought that seemed to you know, land from somewhere in outer space. We sacrifice all the time. You know, it's amazing. Uh, you're going to spend Thursday uh, going to the vet or taking your kid to a soccer game or shopping with your, with your spouse, and a client calls and suddenly Thursday's gone. Instead of saying, I can't make it Thursday. Because guess what? The client has other dates. We don't deserve personal time. We feel that that's anathema. As long as we're not making as much as we need or want, and of course that number is infinite, we don't deserve personal time. You know, taking time in the middle of the day to read for recreation or to play a video game or to play with a dog, smoke a cigar, drive a car, it's unheard of. We should deny ourselves You know, basically we talk about that we have this internal 
narrative with ourselves, this internal dialogue with ourselves that we should be denying and sacrificing and working. And of course, this is all crap. All of it. Now, it's perpetuated by several factors. And you're not going to like this. This is the uncomfortable truth. But these feelings that we must deny ourselves, that we must be martyrs, are often fostered by unsupportive partners and or family members. They are fostered. They are augmented. They are underscored, emphasized by a spouse who says, shouldn't you be working more? Do we have enough money in the bank? Is this as good a year as we thought it would be? Are you as successful as some other people? What if you hadn't left that job? Where would we be today? What if you had a full-time job today, as if our jobs aren't full-time? Would we be doing better? They're often caused, these feelings of denial, of the demands of denial, by insecurity and low self-esteem. We don't feel good about ourselves, and in a perverted attempt to make ourselves feel better, we work ourselves to death. Well, I'm not as good a person as I can be, but I'm working myself to death, working my fingers to the bone, rubbing out my knees. You know, my German Shepherd Bentley, like the German Shepherd before him, Koufax, and the, the great dog Trotsky before him, they all have these, um, these sores on their elbow. They're actually calluses, and it's rubbed away the fur on their elbows, and it's a, it's a, it's a pink kind of a callus. But they get that because whenever they lay down, they lay down using their elbows, and the friction rubs the fur away. And after the dog's about three, four, five years old, they get these calluses. They don't hurt. But they're working their elbows to the bone, taking it easy. You're trying to work your fingers to the bone as a martyr. Another reason that these terrible mental states are perpetuated is a lack of independent inputs. We don't hang out with people who can set us straight. We only listen to people who are like us, a huge whiner's club, a victim's club, a martyr's club. But we need people to smack us upside the head and say, hey, listen, this is not the way to live. Working eight hours a day doesn't prove anything. Being successful one hour a day is a lot better. And then, of course, we have stark raving fear. And when people are fearful, there's fight, flight, and fright. So you might run, you might fight, and you might just be scared to death. You know, the the fight or flight thing, I think, has to be augmented by fright. There are three options. And we we have a fear of being comfortable. We have a fear of doing well. We have a fear of being happy and taking care of ourselves. It reminds me of the... uh, The wonderful definition of Puritanism, I don't know who said this or I'd give them credit, it's not me, but the definition of Puritanism is the dread fear that someone someplace is enjoying himself. And I think we have this fear that someone might perceive us as being happy. And so we show that we're not. We're working, working, working. So what are you lacking? What do you need to overcome this crazy kind of workaholic, show that you're always busy, always sacrificing your self-interest syndrome. What do we do to overcome that? First, 
You need independent interests in which you can indulge. You need things that you love and enjoy. Playing the piano, making your own playlists, art, either painting it or appreciating it, going to the movies, watching some great cable TV, jigsaw puzzles, solitaire, I don't care. But you need independent interests that absorb your energies so all of your energies aren't directed into the work. Second, you need diverse friends and colleagues. Not just people in some trade association who lie to each other all the time about how well they're doing. Not people who believe what you may believe that you've got to work yourself to death. You need different kinds of friends and colleagues, diverse people, some of whom are working for organizations, some of whom are entrepreneurs, some of whom are retired, some of whom have not even found their way yet. So you can get a wonderful panoply of input. You need to have a heart-to-heart with your partner. If your partner is not supportive, not 100% supportive of what you're doing, don't be a martyr again and march through and say, well, woe is me, but I love the work. You know, who says my partner has to be supportive? I'm going to get through this. No, 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 no. You sit down and you say, "Hun, I don't feel the kind of support that I should be having in the career in which I'm engaged. And let me tell you why and tell me if I'm wrong. Because here is the evidence that's somewhat disturbing. And if you think that's a difficult conversation, you're right. But it's a lot less difficult than being in a position of hating what you do or having your closest person in life hate what you do. That conversation is needed and necessary. Your partner may tell you you're wrong about something. Your partner may tell you you made an error. But your partner has to respect what you do. That is unequivocal. You need the ability to turn off family feedback. Ignore your mother. You should be good at that anyway. Ignore your father. Ignore your siblings. Listen, I'm in insurance. I've got a guaranteed income each year. Why are you doing that, taking those risks? Well, because insurance bores me so much, I might as well jump off a dock and hope a shark eats me. So turn off the feedback from the family. It's not their life. It's your life. So you have to have the ability to give up martyrdom. You have to have the ability to understand that no one should be a martyr, that you should lead a good life. No one helped others by putting their life to an end. You know, a person who bragged to me about his best year ever, six-figure year, in the same sentence, with the same breath, told me that he wasn't about to spend money for first class because, quote, coach arrives at the same time as first class, unquote. Now, this is an illness. Not because I demand that people spend money or that people uh, fly first class. I mean, do what the hell you want. But the fact is, he was flying to Europe from the U.S. with his family. And that's about a six-hour trip from where he was. And it's overnight, and it can be uncomfortable. And so, why wouldn't you spend a couple of thousand dollars more, if you're having your best year, to make your family comfortable? I mean, if you insist, you can fly in, coach. You know, on his deathbed, is he going to say, you know, after this long life, I've got a lot of pride in all the money I saved by sacrificing comfort. Ha, ha, ha. Stop it. You can't, you can't help others 
without helping it for yourself first. Healthy selfishness. You cannot help others without helping yourself first. And so in, t- in terms of giving time, giving advice, giving money, allowing and tolerating errors by others, making exceptions for others, in terms of all that and more, you can't help them if you're not in a good place. You can't help them if you don't have the time to give, if you don't have the money to give, if you don't have the advice to give, if you can't afford to accept an error, if you can't afford to accept exceptions. And so you have to treat yourself well in order to treat others well. If there's not any other reason for treating yourself well, there it is. So adopt a healthy selfishness is what I'm telling you here. Don't sit through a lifetime of bad feedback. Your clients are partners, they're not your boss. Treat your client as a peer, as a colleague in the business. You know, they say about banks, you borrow 100000 you're a customer. You borrow a million, you're a partner. Treat your client as a partner. Demand support from those around you. And the, the operative word here is demand. Don't plead for it. Don't sit back and passively expect it. Demand people support you. Why wouldn't they? Why shouldn't they if they love you? Engage in private interests. Find things that absorb you. Put them on your calendar. Make them a priority. Don't shy away from them. Make sure they're an important part of your life. And finally, don't default to sacrifice. That's not why you're here to make sacrifices. Don't default to it. That's my healthy feedback to you. Lead the good life. Deny the bad feedback. You'll be better off for it. That might be an uncomfortable truth, but it's one you need.